Hi, this is Dan Morrell, host of Skydeck. I wanted to ask for a quick favor. We're running a two-minute, 10-question listener survey that will really help us continue to bring you these great, engaging stories of HBS alumni. You can find the survey at alumni.hbs.edu slash survey. Again, that's alumni.hbs.edu slash survey. And beyond the survey, if you ever want to drop us a note, you can find us at skydeck at hbs.edu. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, now for today's show. Shani Suleiman was born in Lagos and educated in the United States, but he always wanted to return to Nigeria. And not just because he missed family or the comfort of home, he had a sweeping vision, one that he laid out in his HBS admission essay. When I graduate, Suleiman wrote, I'm going to go back and lead a technology company that is creating a massive impact that will propel Africa into the future. Today, Suleiman is carrying out that vision as vice president of global operations at Andela, which connects tech companies to African software engineers. And in this episode of Skydeck, Suleiman talks to associate editor Julia Hanna about how that work is empowering the continent and about the journey that led him to this mission. So, Shani, you grew up on a military base in Nigeria, but you also lived in Paris as a teenager while you were attending high school. I just wondered, what was it like to make that transition from Nigeria to France at that age? I think the one phrase that I would use to describe it is is eye-opening. If you think Nigeria, you know, 30-something years ago, pretty homogenous, and leaving for the first time, living somewhere else, and just realizing how expansive the world is, how diverse the world is, how many different types of people there are, actually being immersed in a completely different language. It was really eye-opening. Personally, how do you feel you changed when you made that transition? I think it really opened my mind. I was very sheltered growing up in Lagos, Nigeria. Very loving parents. You know, grew up in the household of five people, two siblings, myself, and, and both parents. And we had what I would call a very curated life. Growing up at a military base, extremely safe, extremely secure. You knew pretty much all your neighbors. Run around town and be out at, at night playing around, you know, at 9, 10 p.m. Got in trouble a few times for that. But most of my life, I remember being spent on that base. Hmm. Um, getting into Paris, I think the first thing I realized was, this is huge. Lagos is very populated. If you're commuting back and forth to places, you don't get to really experience it sometimes. Being in Paris, being on the train... And just literally being in the middle of, of the city, you can feel it. And I saw different kinds of faces, people wearing different outfits. It was just, you know, it's like a deer in the headlights. I'm looking around, just staring. I also remember thinking to myself, this is not going to work. My first three months were horrible. I arrived in Paris in December of 99. It was freezing cold. I didn't know the language. The culture in France is quite different in terms of warmth and people's friendliness. And so all of that, I think, was difficult for me. Didn't you eventually run for class president? Vice president. I Vice did. president. Yes, I did. You made that transition then. One thing I would say that I have taken away with me from just living in Lagos and being Nigerian is we have a very warm culture. When people show up, we embrace them and we try to invite them in. As part of the culture, you go to the office and you have to greet like 50 people. It's like, good morning, good morning, good morning, hi, good morning. Everyone wants a greeting. Everyone gets a greeting. I think that's something that stuck with me. And so when I was there... I always just said hi to everyone. Whether they responded or not almost didn't matter to me. It was, this is my thing, and I don't need you to acknowledge it because that's just what I do. And I think over time, what that did was it allowed me to open conversations with people, allowed them to feel curious about you know, knowing who's this guy who's always saying hello all the time. And 
slowly I started making friends through classes. Well, I went to the American school in Paris, so it was quite international, which meant there wasn't a status quo. We had people from all over the world, from Asia, from the United States, from North America in general, from Europe. Everyone came with their own flavor, if you will. And so I guess I was bringing mine. But the story behind running for student club vice president was, was hilarious. So I didn't really know what the student club did. I found out, you know, they somehow got involved in helping to make things run better at school. So, okay, great. I, I'd love to do that. So I found out that there was this fountain that people kept talking about, that it was broken. It was a water fountain. And everyone would keep saying, the water fountain's broken. It's not working. This is, you know, why, why is our school not fixing it? And so I ran my entire campaign around a broken water fountain and how... <laughs> We need to hold the standards higher, and for a school like ours, it's not acceptable. And I had to give a speech in front of the entire school at an auditorium, and people were cheering me on, and it was great, and I won. And about maybe a week or two later on, I was walking in one of the hallways, and I literally was telling someone, it's, it's kind of weird that this fountain hasn't been fixed. And they're like, no, it's, it's been fixed, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, no it's like, this, is, this is ridiculous, like, it hasn't been fixed. And they're like, it's been fixed. And so I point to the fountain, and I'm pointing to a real fountain, an actual fountain, like a, not a water fountain. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no idea that the thing you drank water out of was called a water fountain. And they all I thought see. I was talking about the drinking fountain. And I had so many of those moments where I was completely lost or, you know, in a different culture and trying to understand what some of these things meant. You know, in Lagos, I'd never seen a water fountain before. And so when I heard the word fountain, there's only one thing, and it's the one you throw coins into. (laughs) And, you know, obviously I got involved in being a part of this amazing community at my school. And I think that really helped me to also begin to integrate more and more and feel like I could actually just be one of them. And you went on to Northwestern and to HBS, and yet after you graduated, you came back to Nigeria. And I just wondered if you could talk about what it's like to live there in Lagos in particular, because most people don't have a good on-the-ground sense of what that's like. You know, why do you like it? What are the things that you're not so fond of? I'm just curious to hear more about that. Yeah. I think Lagos is a, is a tale of two cities for me. It's an interesting juxtaposition of very high highs and very low lows. Mm. And my experience is really trying to balance both sides and always constantly remember why I'm there. Um, in terms of the highs, you know, the, the, the food is amazing. The culture is very vibrant. Um, Lagos is probably the fashion epicenter in Africa. I think it's also a lot more cosmopolitan than people think and it's got this vibrant just hustle if you will everyone is moving and trying to get somewhere and people are migrating from different parts of the country and different parts of the continent just to be there you know it's where i'm from and i think when i wake up every day and and think i'm contributing to pushing the envelope in africa and accelerating our progress that is exciting on the low side it is still very much an unstructured environment in many ways There are laws that aren't fully applied or understood. There's chaos. The traffic is one of the worst things that you can experience. That's what I've heard, yeah. The traffic is quintessential because it describes a lot of what happens when you have a society that has scarcity mentality, the way people behave. Those parts of it, you know, can make days really frustrating. You have service providers who don't deliver as they're supposed to a lot of times. I think at times just finding talent for some of the most basic things is is difficult to do. 
you probably know about the infrastructure issues we have, you know, power, water, and things like that are not as available as they should be. Public transportation is virtually not usable for anyone in the middle class or above. And so those are those are very challenging parts of being in Lagos. But, you know, I keep saying that we have to straddle between the future we envision and, and the world we currently live in. And as long as we can keep dreaming of the future, we can withstand any of the challenges for today. And Andela was launched in 2014, the same year that you graduated. It's an organization that identifies and trains software developers. Can you talk a little bit about how it fits into this vision that you have for the future of Nigeria and then Africa more broadly? And that is actually coincidental, the fact that I graduated the same year as Andela was founded. I joined the team in 2016. Uh, so it had been operating for almost almost two years at the, at the time. And I came in to lead the Nigeria team first and then eventually moved on to a different role. Andela fits in squarely with my personal vision for, for myself and the world. When I go back and look at my HBS essays, it's very interesting because I wrote exactly this in there. I said when I graduate, I'm going to go back to Africa and lead a technology company that is creating massive impact that will propel Africa into the future summarizing some of the words I used there, but, but, but basically that was, that was it. That's, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I believe was my mission and my calling. The picture I want to paint in how I think this works is you have an opportunity to take a lot of the most talented individuals in different countries in Africa and connect them to a global ecosystem. By doing that, one, you're allowing them to learn to work with teams around the world that are at the cutting edge of what they're doing in the space. Two is you're giving them access to global income, right? Because global brands begin to create access to global income. And three, because they work with Andela and our model is distributed, they live and work in their local countries. And so whatever they're earning is being spent locally. The time they spend investing in other companies, in the mentorship relationships they have with other people, advising companies, is all happening locally. For each person that ends up joining Andela and working with us, we're going to impact, you know, 5, 10, 20 others uh, indirectly. The picture that I have painted for myself, what helps me to really get excited about this all the time is at the point in which you have 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 of these software engineers who are now high-income earners and have the skill set to change what's happening in their communities, that begins to attract a lot of foreign investment because where you can find great talent, you find great investment. Through that talent is where investment comes in. And you can begin to see examples like Microsoft just opened up a development center in Nigeria and Kenya. Hmm. Five years ago, that may not have happened. And that talent then begins to create opportunities for other small businesses to serve them, right? Now you have, you know, 10 or 20,000 or 100,000 people living in these urban cities. They need to cut their hair. They need to eat. They need to go watch movies. They need to do a bunch of things that will create other businesses. Uh, and I think ultimately that begins to create a cascading wave of I'll say wealth, mm-hmm. which is which is the dream. This will elevate us beyond um, where we are. Can you give me an example of someone who came to Andela and trained with you and how it changed their life? I'll think of um, someone that spent four years with us, came in, went through the training program, and now just became employee number one at Microsoft's development center in Nigeria. And he's an amazing person. I mean, with or without Andela, he would have been, been fine. Like when you meet him, you'll know he's on a mission. Uh, his name is Tony, and he's actually a personal friend of mine at this point. I'd say what Andela did for someone like Tony 
is to provide them in an environment where they fit in, where they know this is normal, like doing the right thing is normal, um, being excellent is normal, striving for much higher standards is normal. And everyone around you is constantly pushing themselves to get better. Whereas you have particular environments where people are asking you, slow down, you know, where are you rushing to and why are you always trying to be a know-it-all? You have a place where people are saying, no, go learn more. That's not enough. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? When you think about the network he has as a result of those experiences, he's basically able to build a global platform for himself that he can do whatever he wants to do with. That's one example. You know, we have a number of others. There's another guy called Malik who recently moved on and he's thinking about starting a, a, a VC fund. He actually said this to me. He said, this program absolutely changed my life and opened my eyes to what's really possible. Mm. And so I think every day we're just seeing people who they're brilliant. They would probably have been successful anyway, but we've allowed them to find a shorter path to getting there. Andela also has the learning groups, the open source learning groups. And those are available to people who may not be part of the program. Yeah. And so the way we, we, we thought about it is we have limited infrastructure. We can't hire that many people. But the demand, I mean, every time we launch an application cycle for people to apply to Andela, we get thousands of applications. And we can't hire that many people yet. <laughs> One day mm-hmm. we will. Uh, and so we thought, why don't we do this? Rather than competing for the same talent as everyone else, let's actually begin to create additional talent that doesn't necessarily have to come work for us, but we can see to the ecosystems and the countries where we operate and allow those people to go find opportunities elsewhere. And so we partnered with a few other companies like Google, Udacity, Pluralsight. Uh, we also ran a program in Microsoft. And what that is, is literally just creating a curriculum that's fully online and people can apply. And if they get selected, they basically get a free a free course that they can take and then become certified you know, by either Google or Microsoft or whoever which then allows them to begin to build apps for those platforms, you know, like Android. And it's been excellent. I think we've we've had, I think the number is now something around 40,000 people um, go through that program. We're going to have to figure out how to scale it even more. But our long-term goal there is to have this community of people that are constantly learning and growing and investing in themselves so that it isn't just about what Andela does within our business, but also what Africans can do when given the tools to go and create value for themselves. Right. You've talked about how it's a means of really changing the way the world views Africa, not so much as a continent to be given to, but the other way around. Absolutely. It's already happening, which is which is exciting for me. I don't think of myself as being very dissimilar from a lot of the folks at Andela, to be honest with you. Um, I think a huge part of why I'm able to lead teams or even speak on this platform is because I have a very strong foundation as a Nigerian who has some of the cultural values that I think are very positive. I've taken some of those and I've combined them with some of the best values from other societies, from other communities, both in terms of professional skills and in terms of just personal attributes. We're building a business at Andela. It's not a social enterprise, it's not a nonprofit. I think any good business in Africa that is doing things the right way, legally and ethically, is partly a social enterprise because it's hiring people, it's empowering people economically, and it's teaching people how to do things the right way, global standards, right? For me, just building a big business that will show people around the world African talent is as capable as any other talent in the world is an exciting business to build. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School and edited by Craig McDonald. It is available at iTunes and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu slash skydeck.